Let's go back to China a little bit, because when we were talking earlier on about the three great forces that were coming to make life difficult for the U.S., one that we didn't go into in, in great detail, it's obviously critically important, is the rise of China. And you mentioned in the book that you described the China as a strong power in rapid ascent, whereas the U.S., I think you describe as the, the number one power, but in gradual decline. Obviously, you've spent an enormous amount of time in China over the years. I think you first started traveling there in 1984 and have been there dozens of times. I remember your son, Matt, at one point went to live there with a a friend of yours who was very high up in the financial world there in the government. So you understand China to an unusual degree. You don't have the sort of the knee-jerk prejudice against China that a lot of outsiders who don't know much about it have. Can you give us a sense of why China is in this extremely formidable position, rising so rapidly, and also a sense of um, why that's such an extreme threat to the U.S. I mean, there are two dimensions to its rise, its size and its effectiveness in raising productivity and living standards. So China's a bit over four times the size of the United States. So that means if it had a per capita income that was half the United States, it would be twice the size of the United States. And if you look back throughout history, in the book, I show charts going back, you know, 1400 years, China has almost always been number one or number two in terms of its power. Of course, the world was much more separated then, but it was much quicker to invent the printing press and many technologies and so on, and had more power in many ways. And so it's a culture that is an old culture, and they study history, and they are effective. And in the classic ways that are measured in the book, you know, the 18 measurements, education is important, civility is important, those kinds of things. And so what I've seen when I started to go there, I started to go in, as you say, in 1984. And when I first started going, there was the closed-door policy up until Deng Xiaoping came to power in 1978. And they were just opening. And so the first company that was the only window company, they called it a window company because it was the only company that was out, allowed to look out and deal with the outside world, was a company by the name of Citic. And they invited me to teach them about the world financial market. So when I went there, it was all bicycles and it was very poor. And I brought calculators, $10 calculators, and I gave them to leaders and they thought they were miracle devices. Mm-hmm. And since then, per capita income, real income, has increased by 26 times. And uh, their technologies, um, where they are in terms of quantum computing, AI, and almost any of them are rivaling the United States. So I saw that development. And I saw that basically, for the most part, they put together a bunch of right ingredients, including tapping entrepreneurship and creating capital markets. Using capital markets, capitalism in a market economy to be able to be successful. Because when I looked at all the other empires, you look at the Dutch, the British, and so on, there was always the combination between ability of entrepreneurs to combine, uh, to get resources, to take the new ideas and make them grow, to build the wealth and so on. And so anyway, they, they integrated and changed radically, private companies and so on. And I've had the ability, because I've 
gone there so long and um, helped in many ways some of the developments of the financial markets understanding over that period of time to know very intimately how the leadership thinks about such things. And the one thing that the Chinese is, are unique at is understanding the patterns of history themselves. History is basically their religion. And they study history and they learn the lessons of history. And then they have what they call the dialectic, when things are at odds and contradictions and how they then use that as a resolve. So something like capitalism and communism together, how they try to make that move. And so you, I can see they're earning more than they're spending. Their education levels are higher. The, I mean, not higher in, in the total sense. You'll see the statistics. But they'll put out maybe eight times as many computer engineers. They have free access to the data. They use data very effectively. So they've um, become uh, quite remarkable in terms of technologies and so on. So they've gone from the evolution of countries. It goes usually from cheap things like you make textiles and so on, and then you manufacture goods. You're the cheap place to produce to going into cutting edge inventiveness and technology. They made that evolution very effectively because of the way that they're doing things. So I've seen that up close and I've seen that then they've developed their capital markets and they, uh, you know, they welcome foreign investment. So that's what the picture looks like to me.